be from Luke chapter 12, verses 16 to 34. Luke chapter 12, verses 16 through 34. Then he spoke a parable to them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man yielded plentifully. And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do, since I have no room to store my crops? So he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build greater. And there I will store all my crops and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul will be required of you. Then whose then, then will those things be which you have provided? So is he who lays, up, who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich, reward, rich toward God. Then he said to his disciples, Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. Life is more about food, and the, board, and, and the body is more than clothing. Consider the ravens, for they neither sow nor reap, which have neither storehouse nor barn, and God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to this stature? If you then are not able to do this, if you are not able to do the least, why are you anxious for the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil, they neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. If then God so clothes the grass, which today is in the field and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, or you of little faith? And do not seek what you should eat or what you should drink, nor have an anxious mind. For all these things the nations of the world seek after, and your Father knows that you need these things. But seek the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added to you. Do not fear, little flock. For it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell what you have and give alms. Provide yourselves money bags which do not grow old. A treasure in the heavens that does not fall. Where no thief approaches, no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you once again for giving us this day to gather here, to thank you for what you have done for us. Our Father, as now we are going to sit in front of the word and as Brother Charlie speaks to us, we pray and we ask that you fill him with the Holy Spirit and that every word that he speaks will be yours. And we as audience, we be attentive we, we, give, we open our ears so that we, may, that we listen and not just be hearers and that we may edify ourselves hearing this word. Our Father, Lord, once again we uphold Brother Charlie into your hands and we ask this prayer in and through the word in him for Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Thanks, sir.
Thanks, Binu, for reading that. I was actually looking for a good joke because that is the practice of most of our regular speakers, but I failed to find any. So, so uh, I'll ask Jobin and Ravent for the site where they pick it up from. Um, so the portion that we just read is actually not the portion that uh, I really want to speak on, but we'll just come to that uh, in some time. If you look at the Bible, the story of Exodus is one of the most spectacular stories in the whole, in the whole world. Um, it, is, it is something which is, which is highly recalled. It is something which is uh, given ideas for people to, to imagine skits, to imagine movies like uh, Ten Commandments, Prince of Persia, and so on. It's a very, very, uh, it's a very, very uh, spectacular event in the, history of, uh, in the history of Israel. Now, if you look at Israel in captivity, the people say they were there for about 400 plus years. Some people say it was a little shorter. Whatever it might be, they were there in captivity. And for a substantial part of that time, uh, for, for, I mean, they were not in captivity for their entire period, but for a significant part of that time, they were slaves in the land of Egypt. And as they were slaves in the land of Egypt, there would have been some generations which have been born in captivity and which died in captivity, which means that some people for their entire life did not know what personal freedom or liberty was all about. And, and, and when you are in slavery, someone decides what time you wake up, someone decides what time you go for work, someone decides what time you come back. You have no rights over yourself or your family. You're totally given to someone else. And that person determines what you do. And, uh, and, and, and you know the story about uh, the burning bush, when, when, when God calls out to Moses, he tells Moses that, you know, these people have cried out to me. And their cry has reached my ears, and therefore I am sending you. So the people of Israel cried out to God. And they cried out to God, and God decides to redeem them. And that's how he sends Moses into their midst. Now, now um, for a short meditation, let's actually first come to the book of Exodus. Yeah? Let's come to the book of Exodus and chapter 20. So in Exodus chapter 20, God has led people through the, through the Red Sea. He's brought them to the other side. He's heard their prayers. Uh, you know, in, the psalmist says that with a strong hand and an outstretched arm, he has actually brought them out. And then as we come to the other side of the Red Sea, as they come to the foothills of Mount Sinai, is where God is actually giving them the Ten Commandments. And the commandments read like this. And God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. Oftentimes, the Ten Commandments are one of the most recalled things in the whole Bible. Even if you ask a non-Christian, what are the things that you know about Christianity? Uh, chances are high that they will know the Ten Commandments and they might know the Lord's Prayer. These two things are highly known to not only Christians, but to everybody. But you know, if you look at it, God did not just pop out the Ten Commandments out of nothing. He actually redeemed his people. He actually brought them out. He gave them a new hope. He's going to make them a new nation. 
And once he is doing all of that, and once he redeemed them and heard their prayers, is when he is actually giving the Ten Commandments. And he is giving the Ten Commandments for their safety. He is giving the Ten Commandments because he loves them, and he wants them to be protected, and he wants them to love him with all their heart, soul, and mind. So that is why God gave them the Ten Commandments. Now, if you look at it, this portion which says here, you shall have no other God before me. It's, there's no ambiguity that you shall have no other gods before me and you're not supposed to make for yourself any image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or the waters below. There can be no representation of God in any, in any form while they are on the earth. Now, despite this, despite this, if you read through the Old Testament history, you will find that one of the biggest problems that the people of Israel faced was idolatry. Idolatry. They began running behind idols. And this was a huge weakness for these people. If you look at the Old Testament, bulk of the Old Testament is dedicated to prophets. And what were these prophets writing? These prophets were warning people. And a lot of their warnings was, was, was warning them about idolatry and telling them that God is going to punish you guys because you have indulged in idolatry. Now, despite multiple warnings, despite multiple warnings from several prophets, they still loved idols. Their hearts still went behind idols. There was this huge lure which was there for them to repeatedly go and fall for these idols. And if you look at idolatry in those times, you know, they were pretty gory in all their practices. If you look at the idolatrous practices, there were these gods like uh, Molech and Chemosh. And these were gods who demanded child sacrifice. And their rituals involved taking little children, dashing their head on a stone and sacrificing them to these gods. It was that bad. And people of Israel were condemned for doing that. They had other gods like, uh, like Asherah, who had myths which revolved around drunkenness and fornication. And they had certain practices. For example, in, the, in Mount Carmel, when Elijah, when Elijah calls out to God, we had the prophets of Baal, they would mutilate themselves and then pray to God. They would mutilate themselves and think that that would appease God. So idolatry was not just mere bowing down before an idol, but it also involved all these gory practices that went with it. And yet... They really, their heart really went behind these idols. Now, have you ever thought of it? Why, why was idolatry such a huge attraction for these people, despite them having tasted God's goodness? Why was idolatry so, so, so appealing towards them that it repeatedly caused them to, to disobey God? They went into captivity, they, they got punished several times, and yet idolatry was this, had this huge attraction over them. I was just trying to do some, some bit of research, and there are several reasons which, which we can find, but we'll just, go, uh, we'll just look at a few which, uh, which I thought is, uh, is significant. One is, the children of Israel, they, after all the conquest and all the going around the desert side, they finally reached the land of Canaan. Now, in the land of Canaan, um, you know, they have the temple, they would bring their sacrifices, they would, um, they would have these feasts, they would, they, they would do all of this. However, you still needed faith to believe in God. God still operated on faith. And, 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 and by now, several generations have passed, they have heard how they were brought into this new land, all of that happened, but you still needed faith to believe that here is a God who will actually forgive my sins because of the sacrifices I bring. Here is a God who is truly almighty, the one who made us a great nation. 
they still operated on faith, just like how today we operate on faith. Faith was the basic criteria on which they could please God. But if you look at if you look at the religion around them, if you look at if you look at all the idolatry that was prevalent then, they had something which was more tangible. There was there was something which they could touch and feel. There was something which which was which was more real in front of their eyes, and that really didn't need, need faith. And if you look at how the idolatrous system works and how it still works today, it is more of a give and take. So so you pray to the god of money. And then the God gives you money, and then you set aside something for that God. You want children, you would pray to the God of fertility, and then once you get children, you do something to please the God of fertility. It is more like a, you know, I scratch your back, you scratch my back kind of a deal. We have, a, we have our next door, not next door, next plot guy, uh, who's built this big building. He's, uh, he's uh, from what we hear, he had permission to build 16 flats. He's built some 30 flats. He's like violated every rule in the rule book. But so this, he's built this big structure. But you know, at the front of his, uh, at the front of his building, uh, he's got this fancy glass casing with amber lighting and the works, and he's got this beautiful statue of Jesus and Mary. So possibly he thinks that you know, I can do what I want, and then you protect me because anyway I have violated. So this is how this is how actually idolatry works. It always works on this. It mostly works on this, you know, you scratch my back, I scratch your back kind of a deal. And, and, and for them, that was easier to follow than believing in a God purely on faith, a God who, don't, who we don't see and a God who, just, who we have to just believe by faith. The other thing is, um, if you look at it, idolatry always appealed. The idolatrous practices appealed to their sensual self. There were a lot of practices around, around idolatry which involved sensuality, which involved immorality, which involved orgies, which involved all these kinds of crazy things. There was temple prostitution. You know, it was, it was, it was really something which, which, which was far away from anything that is holy. So on one hand, you had this uh, feeling in yourself that you can, you can follow a god and yet indulge in all these sexual practices which appeal to your flesh. And, and gods like Asheroth, Asherah, all of them had uh, their practices which, are, which revolved around uh, sexuality. So you can, you can claim to follow God, and yet you can do things that appeal to your flesh. And this is what the people did. For them, that had this great attraction. And they repeatedly went into falling for these idols. And the third point, which I thought is, uh, is significant, is when God brought them into the land of Canaan, the Canaanite religion was actually a depraved religion. If you look at uh, Leviticus chapter 18, where God gives the sexual laws, he actually tells them not to indulge in incest, not to indulge in homosexuality, not to indulge in, in adultery, not to indulge in bestiality. He gives them all these laws and then he says, this is what the people who are living in this land used to do. So now you stop doing this. He lays out these laws. And, and, and if you look at it, instead of them, now while they did kill a lot of the Canaanites when they came to the land, there were still people there, locals there. Instead of them being an influence on those folks, their practices got into them. So they began to get sync with what the world around them was practicing instead of them being an influence on the outside world. Today's world, we would call it what peer pressure or whatever. But 
But that's exactly what happened. Instead of them standing up for their faith, they allowed the world to come into them. So, 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 so we looked at three things, right? One is God operated on faith, whereas idols operate on things that are tangible, things that are, you know, that, the, the give and take which is often there. Point number two, it appeals to your flesh. It appeals to your sensual self. And point number three, it helped them to be in sync with the rest of the world. So this is possibly why they kept falling back into, into all these idolatrous practices. So what's the big deal? What's the deal for us today? Let's look at uh, Colossians chapter 3 and verse 5. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 5, it says, Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. It says, Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. So these are the things that can cause you to step away or that can cause, get you off track from giving your complete devotion to a holy God. I recently read a quote in Gospel Coalition which, which went like this. It said, idolatry is trusting in created things rather than the creator for our hope and happiness, significance and security. Another good quote by Martin Lloyd-Jones, he said, a man's God is that which he lives for which he is prepared to give his time, his energy, his money, that which stimulates him, rouses him, excites him, and enthuses him. So anything, anything that can actually come in the way of you giving your focused devotion to God is what idolatry is. It's not any mere weakness or likeness that you have, but it's anything that has a significant role in your life and which is inhibiting you from giving your all in all inhibiting you from giving your complete devotion to a holy and a righteous God. So if that's the context, what I thought we could do is, we could take a look at uh, some, of the, some of the most prevalent idols in our life. There could be many, but today we'll just look at uh, three of them. First of them, I'm sure this is something which affects all of us. It's something which can get you anything and the most accepted thing in the world today. Any idea what that is? So, so yeah. So there was this uh, song which possibly uh, when I was young or maybe in our dad's generation, there was this popular song, All the Things I Could Do If I Had a Little Money. Heard that song? Sung by Brother Abba. Yeah. <laughs> so I've heard the story that uh, in the early... Uh, I think 60s or 70s when uh, the first batch of uh, the Kerala migrants went to the US and when they would come on vacation, you know, they would bring these dollars and in the dollar, who do you have? George Washington. So in Kerala, there was this joke that, uh, you know, if you're getting a job there, how much George Oti do you get? <laughs> so, so George Oti had much better standing than the poor Gandhi on our notes. <laughs> Yeah. So, so one of the first things is uh, one of this. So, the, so money is. I'm sure I don't need to sell this hard, right? Money is 
is attractive. Money is, money is something which has this huge influence on our lives. Uh, right from the time we are small, we would always love a little extra money to have that, you know, for pocket money, to have that coffee in the cafe, to, 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 or, or as you grow up, to put fuel on your bikes, or then as you grow up, to buy everything. It is something so attractive. It defines what job we take. It defines where we go for a living. It defines everything in today's world. It is so much attractive. Now, recently we had the couple study where we studied about money. And I'm actually taking some of the next couple of points from what we did. So I'm sorry for people for whom it is a repeat. But I really found that particular session um, very, very informative. So we'll actually look at some of the lessons that we learned from there. So first, let's look at Hebrews chapter 13. Okay? Hebrews chapter 13, verses 5 to 6. It says, Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have, because God has said, Never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So we say with confidence, The Lord is my helper, I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? Now, these are verses that we know. Never will I leave you, leave you, never will I forsake you. But if you look at it, it is actually said in the context of money. It says that keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Because God said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So God has said that you don't need to keep money as your idol because I will not leave you or forsake you. I will ensure that your needs are met. Now, in that particular lesson, what we did that day is we looked at two kinds of people. So we looked at, so there are some people when it comes to money, they are the hoarders. They love to hoard the cash. And there's another group which are the spenders. So the hoarders are the guys who think that, you know, if I have this big FD in the bank or if I have these huge land banks, then I'm safe. What if I die tomorrow? Is the, that money can be used by my family. What if, what if I get kicked out of my job? Then that money will come to rescue me. So these are the people who want the best of investment. They invest in the best of stocks. They look for the most lucrative deals. And they kind of uh, build up this pile of cash. Now, now the Bible actually talks to such people. Let's look at uh, 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verses 6 to 10. It says... 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verses 6 to 10. So in the original, this is actually speaking to the person, to the holders. It says, but godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. And then the most famous verse for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. It actually says some people, for the love of money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. This is what happens to you when you're obsessed with piling and piling on cash for yourself. There are people who are so fixated upon this that they, that, they, that they compromise their family, they compromise their children, they compromise church, they compromise everything to pursue money, single-handedly pursue money. And that gets in the way of your complete devotion and love for God. I just want us as a church to think whether any of us have this, um, have this uh, issue with, 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 with money. Any of us have this tendency to hoard up cash. Any of us have this tendency not to believe that God will sustain us, that God will not forsake us. And, and, and we want to think that what we have accumulated is what is going to um, work for us in future. 
Now we'll quickly look at the other group, which are the spenders. These are the guys who love to live the high life. They love the latest of gizmos, the flashiest cars, great homes, fancy vacations. The guys who love the high life. There's a portion of the Bible which speaks to those guys as well. Let's look at Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12 and verse uh, 16, what we heard now. Okay, and here it says, uh, um, it says, the ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to, to store my crops. And then this guy is going to build these big barns and he's going to keep it. He's going to store it. But then he's not just going to store and keep it. He says that, uh, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. So he is really looking at making use of his cash and spending it in the best way. And then it says that God says to him, You fool, or you idiot, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich towards God. Imagine all the cash that you have that you have filled in your, in your kitty and in your bank and everything, and then you're just deciding to live that high life, what if God just asks you to, come on, it's time for you to get up. By, imagine God calling you a fool. In another context, God actually tells you, know, good and faithful servant for those who actually invest their talents in here. Imagine getting that commendation from God, you fool. Wow, what can be more shameful than that? And then it says... Uh, and then, you know, we, we, we heard that, right? It says, do not worry. And, and it goes on saying that, consider how the wildflowers grow. And then it says, and do not set your heart on what you eat or drink. Do not worry about it. For the pagan world runs after such things that your heavenly father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and these things will be given to you. And then it goes on, do not be afraid. For your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions, give to the poor. Pers provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will never fail, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. So if you're really looking at investing, it is actually telling you to invest in the treasures of heaven. Invest in the heavenly stock that gives you the best return on investment and not the things that actually you find here on the earth. So if you are the spender or if you are the hoarder, just remember one thing, invest Invest in heaven. And how God's economy works is by you giving your money to someone in need. It helps that person to, to, to better their quality of life. And for you, it lays up treasures for you in heaven. And the Bible assures us that your food and shelter would be taken care of. And there is going to be no dearth of that. And if we really get this fixed into our heads money would stop becoming an idol. Money would stop becoming that ultimate thing for us to persuade and run behind. Okay, we'll move to the next point. And the next point is the second idol, which is actually a big, big problem. Um, it's a rampant problem. Recently I was talking to somebody and uh, he was saying that in the United States, several pastors who were interviewed in, in our evangelical circles they have bowed before this idol, and that is the idol of sexual immorality. It is very sad and unfortunate that several people who stand holding the word of God are falling before this idol. 
And this is a big detraction from being effective before a holy God. And what you need to understand is this is not something which is, which, which is a problem only for singles. We sometimes think that this is only a problem with singles. No, not at all. In fact, possibly it's a bigger problem for those who are married. And this is not age-dependent. This can happen to anybody at any age. Recently, I was hearing about, hearing about a servant of God who is pretty old. And he was caught for sexual immorality. So we can never think that, that, that we are safe from this. We need to be really, really sure that, the, that we are careful in our walk, we are careful in our conduct, we are careful in our workplace, in our neighborhood, in our church, anywhere. Anywhere. We have to really be careful about this. I know enough has been said about this particular topic, and all, I mean, we all theoretically know that this is a problem, but just to... And just to um, get your mind to think a little, I just want us to go to two portions in Proverbs. Let's look at Proverbs chapter 6. Proverbs chapter 6 and verse 20 onwards. Now this is, uh, the way this is written, it is written to a man, but obviously, you know, it is written for a woman as well. It's not like this is only for a man. It says, My son, keep your father's command and do not forsake your mother's teaching. Bind them always on your heart, fasten them around your neck. When you walk, they will guide you. When you sleep, they will watch over you. When you awake, they will speak to you. For this command is a lamp, this teaching is a light, and correction and instruction are the way to life. Keeping you from your neighbor's wife, from the smooth talk of a wayward woman. Do not lust in your heart after her beauty, or let her captivate you with her eyes. For a prostitute can be had for a loaf of bread, but another man's wife preys on your very life. Can a man scoop fire into his lap without his clothes being burned? Can a man walk on hot coals without his feet being scorched? So is he who sleeps with another man's wife. No one who touches her will go unpunished. Very, very, very strong words that Solomon has written. So let's not have coal on our laps. It's going to burn our clothes. And don't dare to walk on hot coals because that is going to burn your feet. You know, one of the problems with this particular issue is, and this is what people who have confessed and later told is, once you are caught in that passion, what happens is you tend to justify things, you tend to rationalize things, and you try to lead this double life because of that huge hook with which it holds you. And then it's almost like walking on the edge of a cliff and you're walking on dangerous grounds and by the time you realize it's too late and you're on your way down. And then the whole earth is going to come, is going to come crashing before you. So I just want to tell that if any of us, if, if, if any of us is even, even somewhere caught in all of this, I just want to tell you that let's beware. Let's cut it off. Because this is an idol which can destroy your complete relationship with God, with his family, with your family, and with everybody around you. It is destructive, and it is time for us to really take notice of this and destroy this idol from our life. If you go to uh, the next chapter, which is Proverbs chapter 7, and look at verse 21, it says, With persuasive words she led him astray. She seduced him with her smooth talk. All at once he followed her, like an ox going to the slaughter, like a deer stepping into a noose, till an arrow pierces his liver, like a bird darting into a snare, 
little knowing that it will cost him his life. Now then, my sons, listen to me. Pay attention to what I say. Do not let your heart turn to her ways or stray from her paths. Many are the victims she has brought down. Her slain are a mighty throng. Her house is a highway to the grave, leading down to the chambers of death. Look at the strong words with which Solomon is actually writing this. It's 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 a big warning. It's a big warning. And like like the recent statistics which we which I told you from the US, it's not just ordinary believers. people who are holding the word people who are teaching the word people who are mentoring people are being caught in this and it's high time that we take note of this and let's never think that this will not affect us because because you know there's that verse right he who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall so let's be very very careful about this so we spoke about the idol of money we spoke about the idol of sexual immorality the third one and this i think is something which uh, which which is which is very personal to me as well and this is the idol of self self is a big idol and for that let's look at first john chapter 2 first john chapter 2 and verse 15 it says do not love the world or anything in the world if anyone loves the world love for the father is not in them for everything in the world the lust of the flesh the lust of the eyes and the pride of life comes not from the father but from the world the world and its desires pass away but whoever does the will of god lives forever so it speaks about three things lust of the flesh lust of the eyes pride of life we've kind of covered the first two lust of the flesh we covered lust of the eyes the things that you lust and covet which is why you need money so somewhere it covers that the third thing is the pride of life what is this pride of life pride of life is got to do with things that you own and possess and things that you take great pride in there could be so many things that you're very proud of you could be proud of the status in the society you could be proud of the position that you hold in the company you could be proud of the great family that you have you could be proud of your looks you could be proud of uh, i don't know your family your lineage you could be proud of anything right but here it warns you it warns you about the pride of life it is not something which you can be proud of just imagine if you know have you i mean it's it's good to remind ourselves we are just one heartbeat away if 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 something happens to you all that pride that you have built up all that ego that you build up it's like a big balloon one pen is what it needs for it to go boom there's absolutely nothing to be proud of in 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 the world we can be as full of ourselves but but you know that one nerve to not function in your body is enough to take that pride away we should be very very careful about 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 this particular issue many people have fallen because of the huge pride that they had within themselves now 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 i just want to look at this in a slightly different manner now we all know that we are not supposed to be full of ourselves it's logical to think that we should be humble that's fine but there's an other aspect to this uh, to this uh, to this idol of the self sometimes because of us constantly benchmarking ourselves with others who we think is be- are doing better than ourselves we can sometimes not give ourselves the worth the self worth that we actually should be giving right i i i can just wallow in self pity i can just be sad with the situation that i am in i can i can be upset with a lot of things i can be up- upset with the home i was brought up in i can be upset with 
with, with, with whatever education I got. I can be upset with the job I got. I can be upset with, with everything, the country that I'm living in. There are so many things that you can be upset about. But that is also coming because you're holding yourself as an idol. And for you, that yourself is the biggest thing and you're upset that yourself is not able to do what others are doing or yourself is not enjoying the benefits that others are enjoying. And as a result of this, you're not able to focus on God, but you're focused constantly upon improving yourself and you're constantly worrying and being anxious about that. That is also an idol. It is an idol of the self. You know, just, just imagine this. Out of billions of people who might have lived and who are going to live in the world, God has chosen you and he's chosen me to show his love for us. And he is seen as worthy because of the, of the death of his son, our Lord Jesus Christ. And he's redeemed us. He's given us a new hope. He's given us a new life. Shouldn't we be looking ourselves as worthy beings despite whatever that we might be going through? We might not have stuck it right uh, in many things, including relationship, including whatever it might be. But the fact is, God has seen us worthy. And he's given us a new life. He's given us a new hope. Does that fill our hearts? Or are we wallowing in self-pity? Upset with the fact that we have not reached where we are supposed to, where we think we are supposed to reach. And constantly benchmarking ourselves with the world around us. You could be, you could be, uh, you know, there's this uh, friend of ours, uh, he, it's quite funny, if you look at his uh, Instagram posts, uh, um, every day, I think every day or every other day he puts out a post, uh, he's, he's all the time in the gym, improving his body, so one day his video is about improving his leg muscles, another day his hand muscles, I mean, a lot of us who see this, we like, we just... You know, we just have a good laugh with what's going on with this guy. I think he's constantly trying to improve his look. You know, I mean, go to the gym, you guys, you know. Bible also says don't, don't be a sluggard, so work hard, improve yourself, you should live healthy. All that I agree. Um, I stopped lifting the dumbbells because I realized that the dumbbell began to lose weight. So, <laughs> so, so, those, so those, those, those who can, you know, do it, be healthy, that's all fine. But then... You can't be constantly worrying and putting your and you know taking yourself to task, uh, trying to be someone else, right? Give yourself or 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 uh, or realize that you are worthy in the eyes of a holy God. So get rid of this idol of self. It's it, it's wrong either ways. Either you are too proud of what you have, or you have abs. You don't see any sense of self worth uh, in yourself. So, so what are the things that uh, we, we, in conclusion, what are the things that we looked at, right? We looked at the idol of, uh, idol of uh, money. We looked at the idol of uh, uh, sexual immorality. We looked at the idol of self. And as we look at these things, I just want us to identify what are the idols in your life. You could have something which is, which is, which is, which is totally away from all of this, but that's for you to identify. It's not for anyone else to identify. You just need to think, what is it? That, that is causing you to, what is hampering your complete devotion to God. Because, because the Bible also says that you should love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul and mind. So it is for you to identify what is it that is attracting you away from God. And beware of this idol of self. Because I think in the idol of self, a lot of things 
are there which can actually hamper your devotion to God. And we live in a very self-centered world, right? In today's world, everything is about me, myself. Everything is about me and myself. For example, I mean, even, even, even in our circles, right? Why don't you come to church? Why don't you come for cell group meetings? Why are you not taking your quiet time? Why are you possibly not uh, opening up your home? Why are, you, why are you not doing anything? It is all about my time, my convenience. It is about my job. It is about my family. It is about, I don't know. It is about my, 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 my. Oh, my. Yeah? So just get rid of this whole me, myself, and crush that idol and start living for God. So what is the antidote to this uh, idolatry? If you look at in the Bible, there are, there are two great examples of what you can do with idolatry. And one is what King Hezekiah did, and one is what King Josiah did. Let's, look at, uh, let's quickly look at these two. Let's look at 2 Kings chapter 18. 2 Kings chapter 18, verse 3. It speaks about Hezekiah. It says, He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, just as his father David had done. He removed the high places, smashed the sacred stones, and cut down the Asherah poles. He broke into pieces the bronze snake Moses had made, for up to that time the Israelites had been burning incense to it. Imagine the snake, even that became an idol. Hezekiah trusted in the Lord, the God of Israel. There was no one like him among all the kings of Judah, either before him or after him. Let's also look at Josiah. Let's look at uh, Second Chronicles, chapter 34, and verse 4. It says, Under his direction, the altars of the Baals were torn down. He cut to pieces the incense altars that were above them, and smashed the Asherah poles and the idols. These he broke to pieces and scattered them over the graves of those who had sacrificed to them. He burned the bones of the priests on their altars, and so he purged Judah and Jerusalem. In the towns of Manasseh, Ephraim, and Simeon, as far as Nephtali and in the ruins around them, he tore down their altars and the Asherah poles, and crushed the idols to powder, and cut to pieces all the incense altars throughout Israel. Then he went back to Jerusalem. You know, both these kings were merciless when it came to destroying idols. They identified the idols, they destroyed it, they kicked it out, they broke it, it says they powdered it. And God hated idolatry. In fact, if you bow before an idol, as, as per what it's written in Exodus, you're supposed to die. And these kings ensured a revival happens after they destroyed, they mercilessly went after these idols and destroyed them. They didn't look at who is pleased, who is not pleased. They only looked at God. But they identified these idols and mercilessly destroyed them. And that's what we are supposed to do. You and me are supposed to identify the idols which are coming in the way of us giving up pure devotion to God. And identify those idols and cut it off. Be merciless with it. Destroy it. Smash it down. It says powder it. We can't, we can't play with it. We can't see how far we can go. Just destroy it. And I think you can do that uh, by the grace of God. And uh, in conclusion, just one more thing. You know, one of the first instances of idolatry in the Bible is when in the Mount Sinai itself, when Moses was not, uh, you know, they didn't see Moses down for a long time. And then they, they put up this uh, idol of the bull, right? 
Now, if you look at it, have you wondered why did they go to those idols? One is, of course, it, was, it would have been a practice that they brought from Egypt that is there. But after God miraculously led them, why did they go behind sacrificing to this, uh, to this bull? They not only worshipped that bull, they indulged in something like an orgy there. But how could they do this? Soon after, they, they went through the spectacular miracle. I'm just thinking, uh, Moses was their connection to God. Moses was the person who led them out. Moses was their ultimate connection to God. And suddenly Moses was gone. And with Moses gone, I think everything fell, fell, fell away for them. Their complete trust and reliance in God and everything was dependent on Moses. And this man is gone and suddenly their faith vanished. You know, sometimes our faith is possibly dependent on it's possibly dependent on our parents' faith. It's possibly dependent on the church we come to. It's possibly dependent on somebody we see as a mentor. And sometimes when they vanish, sometimes when something happens to them, or when their faith crumbles, our faith also crumbles. And then we run behind something else. If these people had their own revelation of God, possibly they wouldn't have indulged in what happened to them. The question to ask us is, do we have our own revelation of God? Do we have that high view of God for ourselves so that with that view that we have, we are able to completely and devoutedly go and worship this holy and mighty God? So think about it, church. Think about it. Look for the idols in your life. Always remember, idols have this tendency to keep coming back. Just like how the children of Israel fell, they have the tendency to keep haunting you and to take you back because it appeals to your flesh. It, it, that's what the world around, the world around you will, will be doing. And, 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 and you always have this tendency to run behind the things that are tangible. But God calls you to live a life of faith. So, so I really pray that me and all of us would really be able to identify these idols in our life and to crush it down. And let's pursue God for all that he's worth. In fact, he's the only thing that is worthy for us. Like C.S. Lewis said, he said, God doesn't want something from us. He simply wants us. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this morning time. We thank you for, uh, for the beautiful time of worship that we had. And we thank you that you allowed us to sit in front of your word, O oh Lord. Father God, we know that you are the God who commanded us that you shall have no other gods before me. You're the God who said that, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. But Father, we confess that many a times our convenience, our, uh, our day-to-day affairs, and there are several things, Lord, that constantly come in the way of us embracing you, Lord, or living a life of complete devotion to you. And Father God, we pray that in the coming days you would humble us, you would enable us to know what are these things that are inhibiting us from a true devotion to God. And we pray that we will be able to identify the idols in our life. And we pray that, that, that once we identify it, Father, we pray that just like how King Josiah and King Hezekiah did, we will be able to get merciless, Lord. We will be able to destroy them from our lives. We would be able to purge ourselves clean from all these idols so that we as a church can come together and truly worship you in spirit and in truth. And that every praise that we take on our lips would come from a heart that is totally clean in your eyes. 
So we pray that you would give us grace, you would give us strength. Thank you, Father, for listening to us. In Jesus Christ's name we pray.